Welcome to the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program, a show by bike racers, for bike racers, about all of cycling, from meeting to competition. I'm Greg, and my usual podcasting partner in crime, Matt, could not be uh, with us this week, um, but, but, I am joined by a special guest this week for uh, WHPP's first ever live in-person recording, our first guest and our first recording, uh, local racer, bike rider, and all-around good guy, Preston Bureau. Did I say that right, Preston? Yeah, you got it. You got awesome. it. Awesome. Pretty close. How's it going, man? Not bad. How about you, Greg? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm glad that you could make it, actually, because I, I didn't know uh, what we were going to do this week. Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm pretty excited to be on the other side of this podcasting world. It'll be different. Great. Yeah, actually. So one reason, of course, I invited you down here was because uh, you'd heard the show. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know how many people it is, is yet. We're hoping we're hoping it will soon be many millions. But uh, yeah, the, the, the Twitter following is growing a little, right? I, I you know what? I need to be maybe a little bit. Uh, I need to check that perhaps a bit more frequently. But we'll see. <laughs> so before we really get started, I guess the listeners should know um, we are here sitting at the table with a microphone, uh, sort of a little flophouse style. Uh, so if it's if it sounds a bit different this week, that's why. But uh, it's not bad and. There's some, if you hear some clatterings in the background, it is, it is only a cat getting itself into trouble, so uh, not to worry. <laughs> like that. <them. laughs> so, <laughs> right, so I guess to, uh, to get to the matter at hand. All right, so Preston, mm-hmm. obviously on the show uh, we've talked a lot about racing, and, and there goes uh, something else. <laughs> this is going to be a different show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We've talked a lot about racing in, in matters of interest uh, to bike racers, so I thought it, it might be interesting to talk a bit about how we made that transition to being bike racers in the first place. Yeah, sure. Uh, which, yeah, might lead into things like um, bike culture at large versus bike racing. Um, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, yeah. I guess with no further ado, I don't know. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into racing, how you got started? Well, I got started racing... Back when I started college, so that was, I don't know what, I guess my first season was 2009, and, you know, I was just a, a lowly D racer in the uh, Eastern Collegiate Cycling Conference. Right, so that was, at least at the time, I believe, the lowest category you could. Actually, um, I believe that might have been the second year that the oh, ECCC had intro, intros. Yeah. Right. I remember the intro races. Yeah, it was, it was still not very popular at the time. It was growing, but... You know, a lot of the older members on the BU team at the time hadn't come up through intros, and so I got a lot of advice from them, and so I didn't end up doing intros kind of on their advice, which, you know, I look back on that, and I, I kind of regret it. It's, it's a very good thing to help people get into to cycling, to kind of teach them how to race when they're first getting started with the sport, so... Yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know, my, my certainly uh, problem was that starting racing, I, I thought I knew a hell of a lot more than I actually did. Yeah. Uh, so, so skipping intros might seem like, ah, I don't need to do that, but, uh, you know, maybe you do. Yeah. I don't know, I, I guess I should uh, clarify that I also, uh, I was kind of, I didn't know for certain when I asked Preston to do this, but uh, I was fairly certain that, that you had started in, in collegiate since uh, I know you from, uh, you know, full disclosure, the, we're both on the same racing team right now. Mm-hmm. 
and I knew that um, you had gone to BU and raced there, so I figured, oh, probably where you got started. Uh, so I also got started through collegiate racing, um, having having ridden a bike for quite a while before that, not necessarily in a kind of roady um, mm-hmm. fashion until only a, a year or so before, but I, you know. So did you do any competitive cycling before you went to college? No, 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 I, I, I rode uh, a bike around a lot, you know, even back when all I had was like a crappy, uh, I had a Toys R Us, like Magna <laughs> mountain bike, and I actually rode that a fair distance, I rode it a lot, um, and then I got to college, and I got like a, a, a touring bike, an old, excuse me, like 1986 uh, Japanese touring bike, and oh, rode that cool. <laughs> around a lot, and was big time into utility cycling, and and I declared uh, to all who would listen how uh, silly and foolish uh, the racer boy <laughs> people and their spandex and their thinking they could go fast and race uh, were. And then ultimately I could not deny um, the excitement and fun of riding a road bike <laughs> fast. And then I could not deny um, the kind of competitive, uh, little competitive urge within yeah. within me so so I, I did ultimately start racing um, for my last actually semester uh, in college in the uh, Eastern Collegiate Cycling Conference at ECCC in huh. 2008 that's yeah. in, that's interesting because I actually I mean so you missed me by a year yeah yeah <laughs> missed you by a year that was really not far off and I actually I had a really different <laughs> approach to it despite you know, starting in the Triple C as you did, um, I came into it kind of a little overconfident. Let's say I was I was a runner in high school, and I had injured my knee, and that kind of put a sour taste in my mouth for running. So, come around to college, I had been riding a road bike around for a little bit for a couple of years. Never really raced it, but I figured I'd be pretty good at it since I was such a darn good runner in high school (laughs) and man do i remember that first crit down at delaware that was a real wake-up call um yeah but it was it was a blast and you know from that first from that first weekend i was i was hooked it was so long time ago but a great start to uh hopefully a much longer career ahead of me yeah yeah and well, it's gone pretty well for you, I I think, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you yeah, had a decent cross season. Yeah, things things have gone pretty well this year. You know, I, I had I had some goals for the season. I wanted to to get a couple upgrades, and I I got those upgrades, and so now it's just kind of relaxing for a little bit, you know. Nice, yeah. Um, yeah, so it might be uh, worse. I don't know. Just talking a little bit about the collegiate thing, you know, mm-hmm. since that's how both of us got started, right? And um, I, it was a really great experience, actually, and it seems to be, uh, I don't know how I want to put this, maybe a little bit underappreciated as a kind of growth uh, area for, for USA Cycling. Out, outside of the collegiate scene, I could, I could see that being true, but I think inside the collegiate scene, there's, there's a very strong sense of community there, I mm. At least my perspective was that no one really undervalued it. Everyone oh, right. yeah, in the scene, that. everyone actually in the scene really appreciated being a part of it. It's, um, yeah, really fun, really laid back. Actually, you know, and from a um, 
from sort of a, the ethos of, of the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program, uh, a really awesome way to get started in bike racing because it's a much more kind of non-intimidating way to mm -hmm. get your feet wet. So I remember doing my first races, and I was also uh, a D racer. Uh, I did not do the intro races because I thought I was hot stuff. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I was, I was from, among the D racers pretty fast, but uh, Category D uh, in collegiate races is sort of like Category 6. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just about anyone who can ride a bike in more or less a straight line, which is which is not more to <laughs> insult those people. It's it's really great that there's a level of competition that anyone can get in the ground floor at, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was what was so great is I'd be at these races and I'd be with guys lined up wearing like wind pants or sweatpants, <laughs> you know, in March. And, you know, no tights or anything like that. I mean, the guys had them, but other guys did not. Um, yeah, it's and and well, there was and there's all kinds of bikes. Uh, one guy was on. Uh, a GMC Denali, which is Walmart's version of a road bike. Uh, I was on a uh, legendary dirt bag bicycle myself. It was like an old 1987 steel Unibago. Oh, man. With, with, uh, it had had down tube shifters that were six speed, and uh, I fancied myself a bit, of a, a bit of a bike mechanic, and I bought some these things called Kelly takeoffs that let you put mm -hmm. them up on the handlebars <laughs> next to the brake levers and I'd upgraded them to seven speed and it was just Ooh. yeah I showed up on the ECCC survey uh, with like who had the most weird <laughs> <laughs> strange bike arrangement yeah it oh. was it was just a super fun way to get into the scene without feeling like you needed to have you know all the carbon fiber wheels and the you know matching kit and all that yeah it's it's great to see such a scene built around such a low barrier to entry. I mean, like you said, people people riding bikes as old as them, and you know you don't need a full kit. You can just kind of show up with your team because hey, your team's driving a van down there, so you don't even have to worry about getting a ride. You just bring you and whatever bike you happen to have, really, and and try your hand at racing it and. I think that's really important because you know traditionally we think of this sport as you know pretty pretty expensive. It's it's not that easy to get into. It's it can be a time commitment if you really want to do yeah. it well. And for better or or worse, there's uh, you know and I think this reputation is maybe a little bit unearned, but at times it's pretty earned. You know, a reputation of being kind of elitist and snooty. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely know. as compared to you know the the usual five k foot race. Oh, sure. Yeah, the cycling kind of carries this, this, the sense of, as you said, being elitist, you know? It's not like everyone just comes out and runs a 5K. It's like, oh, here's a bunch of guys that like to wear spandex, and they're usually right. guys, and they're usually white. Like, there's a very... Yeah, there's a very limited uh, demographic of, of participation. Yeah, and and that's another area. So I don't know. I don't know how much collegiate cycling helps with the the white uh, aspect of bike racing, but um, certainly the I, I think the gender participation is a lot more equal there, which maybe should be a wake up call also to, to other you know races outside of the collegiate scene um, where uh, I don't know how much certainly within road racing how many of these women who start collegiate racing really um, end up doing category racing a lot. Yeah, and it was even in, you know, the short time I was 
in the collegiate scene, uh, the growth in the women's fields was actually pretty staggering. You know, when I started, the women's AB field was was combined and tiny and um yeah a big race when i was doing it they they would have separate a and b fields at at the biggest races where the most people showed up yeah yeah and you know by the end they could actually run separate fields it was it was pretty impressive and and really good to see i might have heard do you know if this is true that uh they've been able to expand the number of categories too that there's a c or maybe even a d now is that true oh yeah i do believe there's a women's D field. Yeah, and there's, there's of course, been an intro field the whole time, which is really fantastic. You know, it's, I I think that the intimidation factor um, is is an even bigger problem um, for women getting into the sport. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go on and mansplain about all that. Because (laughs) they'd be getting into into bad, bad territory. But I think that, you know, unfortunately, cycling is kind of legendarily um, kind of not the friendliest. not the friendliest environment for, for women. Um, yeah. And hopefully, and, and of course, it's not perfect in the collegiate scene. Um, you know, I can think of some folks, who, <laughs> a particular team who I did not really appreciate because of very frat boy culture. But but yeah, hopefully uh, there's some lessons there about, about what can be done to make it more inclusive. Yeah. Well, and it's really interesting, too, because I, I was, uh, I ended up being the president of BU Cycling for a year. And so this question of how do you make, you know, not only women, but kind of going back to our original point, how do you get into cycling? How do you get everyone excited to actually start racing um, was something that I don't know that I ever really figured out. You know, fortunately, we were able to, to kind of keep taking on new members as a team. But, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say it. I, I really, I, I don't know what it was that, that really brought a lot of people onto the team and, and got them to their first races. It, hmm. it seems like there were a lot of different reasons for different people, um, but no one thing that, that we could really point to and say, well, oh, if we remove this barrier to entry, right. or oh, if we kind of make ourselves more inviting in this way, perhaps we could grow the sport. Um, could never really figure out exactly what that was. Yeah, and well, it's, I mean, it faces a challenge uh, in that it's, it's a kind of a fringe sport. Mm-hmm. And even compared to, say, riding uh, road bicycles recreationally, um, the, the, you know, bike people who actually go and, and decide to race their bikes are kind of the weirdos uh, among <laughs> uh, recreational riders, yeah. uh, which, which given how, uh, Given how self-important we, we racers can be about it, it's kind of ironic because uh, we think we're pretty much the, the best thing since sliced, sliced bread. Um, and, and there's a certain, uh, so it's you know already obscure. People don't really know what uh, is involved in it. And I think that there's a certain sort of um, mystique about the sport that people who participate uh, maybe like about it. And I'm mm-hmm. not so sure that's a good thing. You know, along with kind of the impression that uh, you've got the, you know, the, the, the bike industry, you know, working so hard to sell us all the latest and greatest fast and, uh, you know, fast, sexy uh, mm-hmm. wheels and parts and, and, and groups and all that. Uh, and, and I don't think that they should not be doing that, but yeah. it's easy to, it's difficult maybe to understand that, you know what, all that stuff gets you is, is 
it's real, real advantages, but they're marginal. Mm-hmm. They're way more marginal than you see in, in most equipment-intensive sports. Um, right, and at the, at the beginner level, you know, you would hope that doesn't affect things too much because marginal gains aren't, aren't as critical at the beginner level, you know? It's, it's about actually getting into the sport and getting involved, and yeah. you don't need Dura-Ace instead of Altegra because it's going to save you 50 grams, you know? You, you just need to focus on actually getting into the sport, but when the whole industry is pushing you towards... Yeah, well, and when you're new, yeah. it's gonna, you know, your your fitness is gonna build really quickly, and your your mm-hmm. ability to understand how to race a bike is gonna grow just way more quickly than, than any kind of uh, advantage equipment can give you, uh, and and to the point that I think for a beginner that those the advantages of uh, the advantages of the high end gear are essentially meaningless. That you know, if you have no clue uh, when to follow an attack or when to start your sprint or, or uh, how to deal with wind in a criterium, you know, moving from one side of the pack to the other and so on mm-hmm. and so forth, if you don't know how to race a bike, uh, then you can effectively get zero benefit from, from these things. Like, you right. know, it's a marginal, the differences are marginal when you know what you're doing. Right. Um, when you don't know what you're doing, you know you're not going to win. You're just not. <laughs> if you can't win, if you, if you don't know how to win a race, if you can't get yourself through it, or if you aren't, you know, hugely talented with such a big motor that you just ride away from everyone, you're not going to win it's anyway. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's um, somehow somehow. Uh, well, let me back up. Yeah. It might be maybe the thing to do is to find some way to just uh, get the message. That you know you can do this. You can do this with the bike you have. That's something that um, you know. I hope that uh, on this show, as it goes on, that we can communicate. Uh, that's something I really want people to understand: is that we don't need to. We don't need to make this sport all about you know what you're riding, right? Um, and having the best ever. And you, if you care about that stuff, that's really important. And I do care about right and equipment, but. You know, we want to make caring about equipment different from thinking that's what I need to have to succeed or to enjoy myself. Right, and I mean, the way registration numbers have been going the past few years, it's it's kind of hard not to bring up this this topic, but it seems like cyclocross is kind of succeeding in that where road is failing. Yeah. Where you have this atmosphere of, yeah, you can just show up, you bring whatever bike you want, and just go out and race it and you talk about a niche sport that's a niche segment of a or used to be i would say a niche segment of a niche sport you know who knew about cyclocross 15 years ago yeah. outside of the cycling community yeah uh, 10 years ago yeah uh yeah i mean it but it's it's exploded actually i would be really curious um to see registration numbers for a cyclocross race versus you know any road event yeah um in new england anyway uh so you know i've, I've also lived in the south in in tennessee and there cyclocross is still um smaller than the already quite small road scene but here in new england um and in other places like uh, uh the pacific northwest uh, with their weirdness <laughs> and uh <laughs> in the upper oh no in the upper mid- yeah i know in the upper uh the upper midwest <laughs> we laugh we laugh because we love. 
uh, <laughs> uh, in the upper Midwest, you know, the, the hotbeds anyway, um, it, it might be just as popular because you get people doing cyclocross who would never do a road race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's important. And I, I think from, you know, the communications I've had with people on the internet anyway, uh, I think some people really... There's something about the competitive, the, the kind of the specifically competitive nature of road, I guess, in that there's one person across the line first, and that's the winner. Mm-hmm. And people feel really, who feel strongly about that, feel really strongly about like that. You know, they think, well, cyclocross is like that way because it's like a color run or something. I don't really think that's true. I think there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I would. The color run being a non-competitive that. event, being who doesn't know, but hopefully you do. Color run is a non-competitive running event where everyone. Paints colors all over themselves, mm-hmm. and, and, and no one cares what the finishing order is. So everyone gets a medal. Yeah, yeah. and maybe, maybe yeah. I don't know. Maybe in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> that's what cyclocross. I don't really know, but I don't think so even there. But certainly in New England, uh, it's not. That is not what cyclocross is like. The people, at least in uh, you know the front of these races, really want to win the race or do well, and are racing hard and training seriously for it. So yeah, yeah. and I think that's that's a very interesting part of cycling as you said i think across disciplines is that for the most part at these races you know you can get a hundred people in a race and the top three on the podium the top three get a medal and everyone else was just kind of there you know there's no there's no participation prize for almost any competitive cycling event and so you know, maybe that's why it tends to attract a, a different crowd than a lot of other sports at this point. Um, yeah, but as you said, you know, it's, it's, it's really not that different from road and cyclocross. Maybe people perceive it to be different. Yeah. But that, seem, that seems to hold true across disciplines. So I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to kind of fully... And it's, it is true that cyclocross... Uh, races feel more relaxed. They feel more family friendly. They feel more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a definitely a big part of this kind of the welcoming nature of the event itself. Uh, and I'm not sure how much it really has to do with the racing. It's also, I mean, there's a lot of factors we can go into uh, that that might be relevant. But you know, it, uh, for example, there is usually more room to run more fields. Like there's not uh, such a, a hard time constraint because you don't generally need to have like mm-hmm. police to close roads and stuff like that right. which is a major Smaller issue course with, and yeah it's, you know it's in a park shorter courses shorter races i should say right yeah so so that is that's that's also a factor you don't you don't run the risk of this is a rant for another time but but you, you know for example uh uh you, you don't have eight thousand masters racers uh <laughs> Meaning that you know there's only room there's room for like a combined one two three four women's <laughs> right. field or something like that. Right. Uh, so you know there's a bunch of there's a secret sauce there for sure, and mm-hmm. um, it'd be nice to see more attention paid to that by you know the national government governing body whose uh, mission supposedly is to grow the sport, uh, but yeah. who seem really focused on their stated um, approach to that, which is uh, heroes in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, doing races that you know yeah. none of us are going to do really for the, like to a first approximation. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know. The, the Twitter feeds that are all full of our juniors and all of our teams racing abroad in Europe, and yeah. you know, meanwhile we've got races over here that are 
drawing, you know, a couple thousand people, and there's yeah. lots of interest in them. Um, Which are does... completely different. I mean, you know, even even the cyclocross, you know, but for, you know, especially criteriums, right? The style of those these the American style of racing uh, is is just really different from what's happening in Europe. Which, if you want to be competitive in Europe, is a problem. Um, but you know, if you want to bring something new and interesting to the table, uh, I don't know. We've got something special here, and, and I think that we have this really yeah, Eurocentric view of racing that is maybe a bit of an inferiority complex. Yeah. Yeah, I really don't don't see an issue with kind of establishing our own brand of cycling, if you will. Yeah, maybe we're not exactly like what they do in Europe, but we're not in Europe, you know? Our our infrastructure is different here. It's it's really it would be so much more work for us to try and copy the European model as to oppose to just come up with or kind of live with our own model um, and, you know, typically host different types of races like crits or, you know, cross races with three flyovers instead of these incredible natural sand dunes and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see some kind of meeting uh, in the middle there because actually, um, you know, I understand that so at, at CycleSmart International there was some, some more kind of uh, Euro-style pro-only features on the for mm-hmm. the elite race, and, and I think that I gather that that was pretty successful and, yeah, you know, there's 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 something to be said for uh, you know, I, I, we're not trying to just say, well, who cares about the European racing, but, no, no, not at on all on the other hand, you know, we have a good thing going here. Right, and so I, I think there's there's definitely aspects of of European racing that you know you might want to pull from, but to to say that our our entire all the races we do should be kind of modeled after European races, I think is is the wrong approach to it. Certainly, there's there's some room to to kind of mold ourselves after after what's been around and what's been established, but I don't think we should constrain ourselves by it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hey, uh, so <laughs> completely uh, huge segue because I think we're going to wrap up. But uh, mm-hmm. so I think it's funny you mentioned that you ran in high school. What did you do? I, I was did some track and field actually. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back in the day in high school, um, well, I went not quite as back in the day. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Long enough. I really can't. I really can't play the old man card this heavily. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, I really shouldn't be playing it at all, but. Um, yeah, back in high school, I, I did cross country and, um, so those races for those who don't know are usually three mile or 5k races. Um, I think once through woods, yeah, through woods, uh, some, a lot of running through fields, kind of like cyclocross really, you know, there's, there's a lot of running through grass and some fun sections through the woods. Um, and then when it came to track and field, I, I actually had the opportunity to run every event from the 100 to the 3200. <laughs> oh, because okay. we, were a, we were a small school and the school was only a couple years old at that point, so it was kind of, oh, you're on the team here, do this, this, and this. Wow, that's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was fun, you know, developing a team. And we what certainly actually- were developing. Uh, what, which, which distance were you best at on the track? I guess 
I enjoyed the, the 1600 the most, the mile. Um, I was really proud my junior year when I was able to get it down to a five minute mile. Um, and that's kind of when my running career ended because I injured my knee. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's certainly kind of where my passion was in running. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I ran, so in high school, um, there's, of course, there's high hurdles and there's low hurdles and the low hurdles is a longer race. That's a 300 meter race for high schoolers, uh, as opposed to 400 meter hurdles, which is at, you know, every level above that. So college onwards to, you know, Olympic. Uh, so I ran the 300 meter hurdles. I also, because uh, no one told me I shouldn't do this, I, I blame my coach for being really not paying attention, and, and he wasn't a very good coach. <laughs> uh, and then I also ran the 110-meter high hurdles. Uh, <laughs> these are not these are not races for the same kind of person. I thought, well, they're both hurdles races, so of course, you know, I was a high schooler. What did I know? I was 16 years old. But these are not the same races. It's you know, 100 meter race versus a 300 meter race. We're talking about if you're really really good, it's like a in high school, it's like a uh, if you're really good, like a 16 second race versus like a 45 50 second race. <laughs> you know, it's just completely different. And oh, of course, yeah. I've mentioned on the podcast before i have short little legs i'm you know i'm five five i'm not a tall dude <laughs> getting over those high hurdles. hurdle <laughs> oh it was brutal yeah I, I should have been directed to do that i was actually pretty decent at the low hurdles though I yeah was, i was i was okay at those uh i could post a decent time i should have done the 400 as well but anyway yeah. and then it turned out i started bike racing a few years later and uh, I'm also skinny, so everyone, including me, thought I was going to be a great climber and told me I was going to hate crits, and then I love crits. I'm, a, I'm that one-minute guy, one-minute power guy, <laughs> yeah. so, so there you go. Huh. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, All right, well, go. we're at uh, about half an hour, so maybe we better wrap it up. Um, okay. And Thank you for having me on. This yeah, thanks for fun. coming. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it because uh, it's been uh, fun for sure, and... Why don't you tell uh, the good people, if they want to hear from you on the internets, where they can hear from you? Ooh, on the internets, um, I am on the Twitters at, as, at, excuse me, at PrestonPB, um, and I believe I'm on Instagram at the same username, but I'm not quite sure. I'm mostly awesome. just on the Twitters. Alright, <laughs> awesome. Hit, hit that up, everyone. Uh, and, uh, of course... I am on Twitter at Grolby, G-R-O-L-B-Y. Uh, my uh, blog is standarddouble.com. That is also the home of this website, standarddouble.com slash W-H-B-P. Uh, keep it rolling, and thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.